0: We're continuing in our series today, uh, we started last week a series in Ephesians, we're going to be there for a few months, and uh, we're going to continue today, part two, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter one, if you did not uh, bring a Bible today, uh, we'll make a Bible available to you, Ron on this side and Kurt on this side, if you don't mind, just uh, if you need a Bible, just give them a wave, um, looks like it's first come, first served. Yeah, there's not a whole lot. I just encourage you to get in the habit of bringing your own Bible to church, even if it's on your tablet or smartphone. I tend typically read from the New Living Translation. But we're going to continue in the series part two today talking about God's mighty power. I grew up in a small town, uh, at least it was small then uh, when I was growing up. And so anytime someone did something unusual, word typically got around There was a young guy who lived around the corner from us. His name was Greg. Greg Ast, and uh, his dad had a trucking company, and and uh, so uh, they had kind of a shop, and they worked on vehicles and stuff. And and Greg got the bright idea to replace the engine in his VW Beetle with a well with a Chevy big block 350 (laughs) V8. Had to take out the back seat and do some pretty serious modifications to that little little car. And he had a lot of fun on on Friday nights on the main street. He challenged some unsuspecting hot rodder. And uh, he dropped the clutch and roar away from the, the traffic light. And I, I'm not sure that his car was really the fastest, but he had the element of surprise in his favor. No one expected that much power from a bug. And I, I love getting surprised by more power, more supply, more resources, uh, something you didn't expect. It happened to me twice this week. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is so great. Um, first, I accidentally discovered that my dying barbecue, which I, I love my barbecue, it's just the perfect barbecue, and we use it at least once or twice a week. Um, it's dying, and I, I've discovered that it has a lifetime warranty. <laughs> I, I called to order some parts, and they said, okay, well, that's no, there's no charge for that. I said, what are you talking about? They said, oh, I said, how long is the lifetime? 99 years. So, kids, <laughs> one of you is getting my barbecue. <laughs> it was so great. The parts are in the mail. And then I went to Sears Tuesday evening. I had to get some, some yard items for my yard um, stuff. And, and uh, I didn't know I had some shopper's points, club points of some kind. And the guy says, oh, that's, there's no charge. I'm like, What? <gasps> And I am rich. I just saved twelve dollars. I you know, who doesn't love that stuff, right? Getting something more than, than you thought you had. Well, here's how this relates to your life in Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, you instantly had access to all kinds of heavenly resources. Spiritually, you became a wealthy, powerful person. It's like God dropped a three fifty in your beetle. The problem that I and most other believers have is that we act like we're driving a pedal car. We're oblivious to the resources at our disposal, so we never learn to use them. So we're going to read what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. I know um, New Living reads a little differently from those of you reading NIV, but I'll help you along. Verse 15, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insights so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are rich, who uh, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. In verse 23, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's take a seat together. Just a little note about when you're reading your Bible and you see like a little asterisk or a note, something, depending how they do that. Just look in the bottom. There, there's often a text note. And what that means is the translator is saying, look, there's a couple of ways we could go with this. And, uh, and so we're going to just tell you. So, for example, if you read the New Living at verse 18, there's a little star. It says, you know, called and he says, or, or called and And it, then it leaves leaves the alternate or gives you the alternate rendering of that passage. Just a little skill to know when you're reading your Bible. Well, if you recall from uh, last Sunday, we saw in the first part of this chapter, Paul was reminding the Ephesian believers of their identity in Christ, right? He says they're identified by every spiritual blessing. They're identified as trustworthy with a message. They're identified to belong to God. They're identified as saved so others may be saved. And they're identified by the seal of the Holy Spirit. That's our identity. That's your identity as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what's available to you. That's who you are. That's how you're known as a follower of Jesus. And then now in this passage, Paul is communicating his desire for them to experience more. To teach them what's available right now for them. And I think these believers were in the same danger that every Christian has faced throughout time, including us right now, whether you're 15 or 50 or 85, it doesn't matter. There's this temptation to put our faith in Jesus and then just stop and just live the status quo. Just live like everybody else. Just live like your neighbors or the people around you. And Paul's push, starting here in verses 15 and 16, when he says, you know, ever since I heard of your strong faith, right, what his push here is to say, look, I love that you're saved. Now, take advantage of that and keep growing. We, we could say it like this, saved, but don't stop growing. You're saved, but don't stop growing. I, imagine it this way. Someone gives you tickets to, uh, say, your your favorite sports team, maybe the Dodgers or the Giants, or even better, the San Jose Sharks, right? And, uh, and those tickets get you into the stadium or the arena in the case of a hockey game. But... You you go in the arena and then you go in there and then you walk on the concourse and there's like where the concessions are. There's all these big TVs and stuff. Now, would you be content to just stay there and watch the game from the concourse? No. You might pick up a hot dog or whatever and then you go in and you find your seat, right? And then maybe someone comes along and says, hey, um, there's a prize drawing and your seat has just been awarded a much better seat in the arena or in the stadium. Well, you'd be like, yes, I'm all over that. Um, sorry, hon. I'll see you after the game. Um, no, two seats. It's all right. Uh, I I give you the seat. Yeah, really I would. Afterthought. I know where my my bread is buttered, so we better be careful. All right, so that's, that's what would happen. But imagine that scenario. Now then, let, let me apply it this way. So why then do we get saved, right, and then live our spiritual life out on the concourse? We hear the roar of the crowds, right? We hear about amazing things that God's doing. But somehow we're just hanging around the TVs, hanging by the concessions. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're scared to experience it or we just somehow don't experience it. For ourselves. And most Christians, and I would again include myself in this, most of the time we're living far, far away from what we could be experiencing in Christ. And Paul's saying, Look, it's great that you're saved, but don't stop growing. And my question is, Are you growing? Am I growing in our relationship with the Lord? It helps, of course, that Paul is committed to praying for them. He says, I I haven't stopped praying for you. He says, and uh, and it helps that someone's praying for them and it's it's just something we can do for each other. We all need help if we're going to keep growing and so we can pray for others as well along the way. But so that's the starting point. And then from there, Paul wants these believers to understand what what God has made available to them and available to us. And we could call it this God's gifts to grow God's gifts to grow. Three things he talks about here. Wisdom, insight, and knowledge. God's gifts to grow. Wisdom, insight, and knowledge. You see it there starting in verse 17. And again, this is to move us beyond just this thing of getting saved and, and getting stuck there. You know, I am bothered when I hear a person say, well, I, I believe in God. But that's the extent of their understanding. They, and that might describe you. Believing, yes, but you don't really have any idea what's in the Bible, or you really don't know why you believe what you do. And Paul would include you in this prayer, asking God, he says, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. That's his desire for you. These three things that he talks about here wisdom, insight, or it might be translated understanding, right, and knowledge are God's gifts to help you grow. Gifts for you to deepen your spiritual confidence, to help you mature, to get you down to those good front row seats. Let me talk about those three things just briefly. First of all, spiritual wisdom, or a more direct translation might say, the spirit of wisdom. See, the growing believer realizes that not everything is a matter of right and wrong. In order to mature... You need the wisdom to discern the difference between good and better, between foolish and wise. So people sometimes will ask me, you know, well, is it OK for me to do this or that? I, I sometimes use the example, let's say, for example, of, of a, a believer who visits the casino. Now, is it wrong? Can I show you chapter and verse why you shouldn't do that? No. Am I going to am I going to mad at you if you if you do? No. But I would say, is it a wise place for a maturing believer in Christ? Is it a wise investment of God's resources? Is it a a wise group of friends to be around? Probably not. See, the maturing believer looks for not just right and wrong, but for wisdom over foolishness. The second gift to grow is insight or understanding. The Greek word is apocalypsis, where we get apocalypse or revelation. That's what it means. You, you and I need a, a greater revelation, a, a bigger view, a greater understanding, an insight of Jesus, a bigger picture of Him for us to grow in our faith. We need to get we need to get closer to Him and just see just how grand He is. We need a revelation. It's like this: maybe you heard about someone, you had a pretty poor impression of that person, and then you weren't even sure you wanted to ever meet them, and then and then you did meet them, and you realize, well, I. I kind of like that person. Well, kind of cool. I don't see what the fuss was about. That's a revelation. Something's been revealed to you. You see it throughout the Gospels. Regardless of what someone thought of Jesus, they get close to him, they meet him, and their life has changed. They're not the same, they're different because of revelation. Insight, understanding, all those words have similar meaning. And third, wisdom, and it's wisdom and insight together that are really meant to make this one possible. Third is knowledge, right? Knowledge. You could also translate that as, as, as well-rounded knowledge or, a, or an expanding, um, complete knowledge or full knowledge of God. That's what Paul's praying for for them. And I want to be careful here because I'm not talking about just becoming a, a, a Bible expert, right? That, that's not what we're, what we're saying here. Um, Even though I constantly urge you to read scripture and I, I want you in there. No, Paul is praying for the Ephesians to receive this gift, a greater knowledge of God. A greater knowledge of God, not knowledge of the Bible, not knowledge of doctrine, a knowledge of God himself. You see, Jesus warned himself. Jesus warned that not everyone who speaks Christian lingo and does Christian stuff is going to be in heaven. You read that in Matthew seven. In fact, to some people, Jesus is going to say, get this. Jesus is going to say, get away from me. I never knew you. I mean, that that's a chilling statement from Jesus himself. We need to know him. Do you know him? God is a good father. and He wants to give these good gifts to us. Wisdom. Revelation, a greater knowledge of God. But it's up to you and me to make those things a reality in our own lives. Are you growing in those things? Now, if those are gifts to help us grow, Paul's also praying for God's gifts that show who God is and show what's available to all who believe and all who will faithfully follow him. These gifts help us show God to others. So we could say it this way, God's gifts to show our hope and um, inheritance and power. Three more things. God's gifts to show. I think I've heard our, I know we've been having some computer problems today, but. Carter, if you've got that next slide, when you get it, just throw it up there. God's gifts to show hope, inheritance, power. Hope, inheritance, power. It's a vivid image, actually, in, in the passage. Verse um, 18, Paul says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called his holy people. That sense of flooded with light or another maybe more literal translation would say the eyes of your heart enlightened for the, for the lights to go on. You know that 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 you, know, you flick the light on in the middle of the night because you need to see something you're like, "Ugh!" right. That sort of brightness in our in our heart is what it's his prayer for, so that we'll know the hope, inheritance, and the power of God. And here's, the, here's what's really cool about this, this prayer. Paul's writing as though this has already happened. Literally, he actually says, the eyes of your heart having been enlightened, it's already yours. It's already been given to you. It's already made available. It's already at your disposal. You know, this is that $20 bill you find in the pocket of those jeans you haven't worn in about a year. And you reach your hand in your pocket and you're like, where did this come from? I am $20 richer. No, you're not. Right? It was already yours, but you feel like something really great just happened. That, that's what we're talking about. It's already yours. It's already in your pocket. And what's the hope? Well, the hope is the hope of what's to come. The hope of your calling heavenward. The, the hope that comes of being called to follow Jesus. It's like when you had to pick teams when you were a kid, right? And you really hoped cool Tommy would pick you for his team because he just knew it would be the better team and that you would win. And then he did. And you're just like, yes, that's hope, right? And then inheritance. He's talking about inheritance. Here's that tricky translation again. We dealt with this last week as well. Does God's inheritance, NLT says, um, you know, his holy people who are, his rich and glorious inheritance, but again, if you read the text note, or the rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his holy people. Um, I think in keeping with a the broader theme that Paul deals with of adoption in this chapter, we've been adopted into his family. It's fair to, to interpret this to say that we have an inheritance in him. We are in the will. We have an inheritance in That's coming for us. We haven't received it yet, but it's ours. Do you know it's there? It's the inheritance of all the rich resources of heaven and the presence of God in the age to come. And I think it's valuable for us to understand that for Israel, right, for the Jewish people who are the foundation of our of our faith, their hope was for a promised land of a national home. That's why 1948 was such a big deal right their anticipated treasure inheritance and that's that's what they set their folks in future on for now but for us for the believer right the inheritance is a spiritual land a new eternal dwelling place a new heaven and a new earth that's what we anticipate and then the third gift to show is his great power in us and for us. Paul's it, Paul calls it the incredible greatness, he says here, verse, um, uh, 19, or end of verse 8, um, beginning of verse 19. I'll pray you understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Um, the Greek word that Paul uses has become our word hyperbole, meaning greatly exaggerated, right? Our, ours is the mighty, exaggerated, the, the mega power That raised Jesus from the dead is available to us as well. And here's what's so crazy about this. Paul is telling us, again, that you already have this power. It's ours to the glory of God. So why don't we make use of it? Why aren't we living in that? Why are we watching from the concourse when we have a seat waiting for us at ice level? I think if we're honest, we'd probably admit that we're scared. We're not too sure that we really want that power or that we'd know what to do with it. We might feel like the the guy with the Volkswagen Beetle that's a little overpowered. It's a little scary to have that much power at your disposal. We're scared that we'd be seen as weird or crazy or we've never really seen it at all for ourselves. We don't even know what this is about. We're scared that we'd be healed and off our meds or free of our pet sins and habits and Maybe we'd lose interest in our favorite TV shows and pastimes. It's just so much easier to live like everybody else. But we're missing out. I'm missing out. The power ours, but will we have the courage to use it? To pray in faith? To act in faith? To give in faith? To, to go in faith? God's given us His gifts to show His glory to us and through us to others. But we have to be the ones to act or not. And here's the thing about God's superior power, that power not only raised Jesus from the grave, but that power established Jesus at the place of highest honor, seated at the right hand of God, the father. God's great power, the same in power available to you and me, placed Jesus above everything and everyone everywhere for all time. And Why? Well, because so that Jesus, as head of the church, could give his authority to us, to you and me, the church. We are the body of Christ here below. And what the head says to do, the body does. That's how it works. Jesus has the authority, but for our benefit. We would say it like this. Christ's body below, right? He possesses all authority. Look at verses 22 and 23 again. He, Paul writes this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Jesus possesses all authority. All that power invested in Christ Jesus, given to us it's for our benefit to make us truly alive, And why does the living head, Jesus, need a body? Well, because the head needs a body to carry out the mission, to carry out his will in the world. I think this also means that you just don't need to be afraid. You just don't need to be afraid. Jesus is truly the authority over all things. I don't know how many of you had a little moment of panic this week, or at the end of last week. A fun week in the stock market, wasn't it? Those of you who follow that kind of news. My goodness. There's no reason to panic. Whether you will one day face persecution, or a crash of the economy, or a destructive climate change, or loved ones who reject the gospel, or a body that's failing, or a house falling apart, or children who don't get scholarships, or even a car that won't start, you're part of the body whose head is the ultimate authority, Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters. And the power that raised him is given to you as well. Think about that. The power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, Paul says, is made available to you. Your Lord and King, your boss, your leader, he has more authority than we'll ever understand. So you can be at peace when you realize that. But I just want us to think about, okay, Brian, Paul's writing all these things to these Ephesians. What, what do we actually, what do you want me to do about this? I think that the essential challenge for you and for me is this: saved, yes, but am I going to keep growing, or am I just going to stay stagnant? Am I just going to stay with what's familiar, with what's easy, what I've always known? I've heard um, a couple of folks connected to our church recently just tell me a story of stopping and meeting a stranger and, and praying for somebody and, and seeing something pretty dramatic things take place, healing take place. I've heard someone share how they they just um, went downtown and just looked for someone to help with some with some food um, I mean, there's just kind of all kinds of those are maybe some of the more extreme things. But in your day to day life, what's the Lord going to lead you to? As you say, Lord, I know that your power is here. So what do you want me to do with it? How will how will you help me step out of faith? God, how will you help me to to take a chance on what you've placed in within me? It's, It's available to you. That power, right? That inheritance is yours to to grow in that that wisdom and that insight. The knowledge of God. That's the challenge to say, "Yes, I'm saved, but I don't want to just stay here. I want to keep growing with the Lord." Let's stand together as we pray. God, we're um, here before you as your people, your body. Jesus, you're the head, and we're the body. That means we're the parts. We're the hands and feet. We're we're the eyes. We're the we're the ones that do what you tell us to do. And so we want to be faithful to that. And I want to be faithful to that. Lord, I just confess, I think most of my life I've just not really known what it means to have your power in me. I still don't know, Lord. But I desire to know more of that. But it seems like it takes courage. Lord, I think I don't speak out of turn when I say we're kind of scared to think about what your power could do. And so I would just ask, God, that you soften our hearts to hear from you and to receive. Lord, I pray that you would stir in each person here a desire to grow in you. And church, as you're just as we're kind of wrapping up here, we're about to sing a song. Can I just. Urge you right now, just to challenge you to say, "What's one place in my life I could begin to grow?" Maybe, maybe you're just going to commit to once this week you're going to you're going to pray, or maybe just once this week you're going to read something from the Bible, or maybe just once this week you're going to have a spiritual conversation with your spouse or your kids or your friend, neighbor, or coworker. What's one place you can push just? A little further into your knowledge and understanding of God. What's one place that you can appropriate more of that power to to be aware of the hope and the inheritance that you have in Christ? And lastly, if you're someone here, you've never put your faith in Jesus, you don't know what it means to, to trust him. I want to give you that opportunity to respond by saying, yes, I want to receive Jesus. I want to put my faith in Jesus for salvation. If that's you, I just invite you to raise your hand and look at me and we'll pray together after the service. See, today's the day. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Anybody like that today? Father, we're grateful for all that you've done for us. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. And Jesus, I thank you that you are that place of authority seated at the Father's right hand. And one day we will behold you face to face. But for now, I just ask that you would give us a greater insight into who you are, a greater revelation of you. So that we could be and do what you've called us to be and do. In Jesus' name, amen.